Good morning. Welcome to Creekside Church. It's gray outside today, but the sun is here. The sun is here. So this is the the right place to be this morning. We're here to worship our Lord and just to give him the praise and the glory. He is the one who provides everything we need and gives us more than we can ask or imagine. So let's stand and worship together today if we could, please. I just want to welcome you here. If you're here as a guest for the first time to Creekside Church, I uh, want to say welcome to you. If you would open your bulletin, there is a little tear-off flap. If you would fill it out and put it in the little bags that go by later in the, uh, as we take up the offering, that's all we'd ask you to put in the offering. If you're a regular member or, or attender here, that flap is for you too. If you have a prayer request or a desire or interest or a question, uh, fill that out and put that back in there for us as well. Just want to remind you that today is the last day for Operation Christmas Child out in the entryway. The boxes have been gathered, so if you took a box and you forgot to bring it, well, uh, you need to talk to uh, Brent's wife, Carrie McLaren, or see one of the guest service people at the desk as you leave and try to coordinate when we get that. But this is the last day for those to be turned in. Also want to remind you that our Haiti team mission update will be on the 15th of December, not on the 8th, as we previously said. A lot of these things are in the bulletin. We're going to be starting a new Christmas series Uh, here in a few weeks, and that series is The Christ of Christmas. So I want you to be joining me to thinking and praying about who you'd like to be able to invite to come to hear the story of Christmas and the person of Christ and what Christmas is all about, if you would. And the the last thing I want to say is that every Tuesday and Thursday night, we have a wonderful opportunity for you if you're interested in helping out to minister to some of our refugee families to do be a homework helper and or to be an assistant with the ESL class to be a listener and to help with that. And so that information is in the bulletin as well. You can talk to Katie Markhart and we're still in need of people because sometimes people can't make it and we need subs and we still need more people. So we're excited about that. Let's pray. Father, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And we're overwhelmed by your love for us and your grace and your mercy. And so I ask that you would continue to work in our hearts. I pray that as we worship you through the study of your word, that you'd speak to our hearts individually, personally, as you know that we have need. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters in this congregation struggling with physical, emotional Uh, mental, physical, financial challenges, I pray that you would meet them in their time of need. And I pray that your word would wash over our souls for your glory and for the advancement of the cause of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, last night was quite an exciting night for uh, people who were football fans in the state of Iowa. The Iowa State Cyclones knocked off uh, Texas in a very uh, close-to-the-wire game. So Cyclone fans are real excited because they've lost so many games on uh, very few points. I think they had like five losses and a total of nine points or something like that. And so finally it went the Cyclones' way. Hawkeye fans are all excited and juiced because they knocked off number ninth-ranked Minnesota last night. And so these victories were the result of education, 
Because they study film and they study the opposing players and they study everything what happens. And they're also the result of execution. You can know all about your opponent, but if you don't execute your own game plan, it's not going to work. And this morning, we're going to be challenged from God's playbook and gain education so that we can see an execution of the wife's role in marriage as we continue our series and we're going to be looking at what it is that's necessary for, for the wives, well, how it is that they're going to be played out. Now, I'm going to just make a little proviso here. Uh, I've changed things uh, since uh, Friday. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm constantly uh, kind of changing. So stuff gets put in print. It's not the thus saith the Lord. It's just kind of involved me. So the bulletin, you have a printed outline and your bulletin, and you have a headline or a title for the message. This is doing our duty. And as I was thinking and praying about that, I thought, well, that sounds pretty rigid. That sounds pretty dull. That sounds pretty, like, uh, you know, regimented. And so I said, no, that's not, that's not what I want to go with. So uh, we, we changed it, and I really think this is more in essence with keeping us. A wife's winning ways. How can a wife win? So this morning we're going to look at the text, because how are we going to see how, how, how a wife can gain victory in matrimony? I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, the, the state of marriage, traditional marriage, is in, and I'll say this, dissolution. That's D-I-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, dissolution, which means that divorce rates are really high. It's also in a state of disillusion, D-I-S-S-I-L-L-I-T-I-O-N, something like that, disillusion, okay, which means that younger people are just refusing to get married. They don't want to get married anymore. Because it's easier just not to get married. Take those two facts, couple that with the reality that traditional marriage is basically seen with disgust by the, by the cultural elite and by the culture as a whole or becoming more of a disgusting thing to the culture. And we see the need, the increased need for speaking with clarity on the value of traditional marriage. And speaking with clarity on the virtues that a husband and a wife need to bring to that mix in order for marriage, in order to, to protect and protect that traditional marriage value, in order to promote harmony within a marriage, in order to proclaim with clarity the testimony of the transforming power of Christ, which the marriage union is supposed to be a picture of, the love between Christ and his church. And so we need to come back to rediscovering God's design for marriage. You see, God designed marriage so that there would be oneness to reflect the unity within the Godhead. Husbands, as Bob reminded us appropriately last week, have been called to lead, to sacrifice, to cleanse, to nourish and cherish. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the secrets to a wife's Winning ways in marriage, in matrimony. What is calling God calling her to do? Scripture provides several things, and I could have, I had you know, more things, but we're just going to talk about two. Two perspectives, two actual responsibilities, God-ordained responsibilities that women have in relationship to marriage that will enable them to secure victory. I want you to hear this. That will enable a woman in marriage to secure victory even when there is not harmony. Even when there's not harmony, there will be victory. 
in marriage. And this word, I think, these words are not just for married women, although the text we're looking at and the primary application is for that, because it's rooted in our identity as beings, male and female, it surpasses and transcends just matrimony. So that the principles that are being talked about can apply to single women. Because you're going to hear what it is that God is calling you to live out your sexual identity and relationship with men, whether or not you get married or not, you know, whether you get married or not. It's a testimony to the elderly women, how you can be given counsel to younger women who are married and how you would encourage them in Christ. Titus 2.4 says that the older women should encourage the younger women to love their wives, or love their husbands, I'm sorry, to love their husbands. The younger women, you're supposed to love your husbands. It's a testimony to single guys. It's like, what do you want to look for in a woman? Well, I just want to know that she's hot. You know, that's all I care about. She has to have a, be a good looker, you know. Well, you know, uh, there's way more to it than that, guys. Uh, so let's, let's, let's tame it down and let's just, you know, use God's perspective. It's an encouragement and a challenge to men in general who are married, those who have wives, to understand our responsibility to understand the privilege and the authority that we have as husbands and what a blessing thing it is for us to engage with a partner who is called alongside to be our helpmate. It's a call to all believers to realize that by God's grace, uh, reminded that in, in, in all of life, marriage and all of life, victory is not about me. It's not about my Happiness, it's about God's glory. And so then in everything, we're seeking to live for the glory of God. And so this morning, we want to look at these two responsibilities that hold the secret to a wife's winning ways in marriage. Particularly, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Ephesians 5. And then we're going to move over to 1 Peter chapter 3, and then a few verses in between. But I'm going to read Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24, and verse 33. This is, again, the same text that, that Bob said, or referred to last week, but these are verses that have to do with the wives. Again, Ephesians verses chapters 1 through 3 is the, our identity in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 is how we live out that identity in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 are the indicatives. Here's who we are. Four through six are the imperatives. Here's what we do. Chapter five, beginning with verse 22, Paul says this, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So I changed the, the title of this first responsibility and said that now it's winning wives continually submit to their husbands. Winning wives continually submit to their husbands. There are four things from the text that I want to highlight for you, and I realize that I'm stepping out, you know, like right on the cliff here. Uh, because I even used the word submit uh, right from the 
gun, you know, right out of the gate. I used that word. I was doing a wedding, very, one of the very first weddings I ever performed. It wasn't the first one, I don't think, but one of the very first ones. I flew to California, uh, the great state of California, and I uh, was uh, there uh, doing a performing ceremony between uh, a guy that I had been good friends with in college and his wife, and I'd gone through counseling with them, and we uh, did the wedding. And after the wedding, at the reception, a lady with a PhD in sociology came to me, and she says, did I actually hear you say that Joanne should submit to John? And I said, Yeah. That's what I said. Now, so I understand that, but here's the mandate. Notice the text. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Submit is a military term. It means to uh, align yourself with. It means to get in order of rank. Now, some of you have been watching the news. You know what's going on in, over in Hong Kong, and the, the troops are all uh, lined up. You know, they're moving and marching in order, in order to take on the protesters there in Hong Kong. This is the idea that you, you gain, there is order there. If, but then the text, it's not just the, the root word is to a military term of alignment, but the pre prefix to the word means under. So the real idea is align under or arrange under, under the authority, under the responsibility, under the protection, under the provision of the husband. The woman is to align herself under these things as her role in that marriage. Wives are commanded. Now, it's a, it's a present tense verb, which means you continually do it. So it's not like, well, I did that once. You know? Yeah, he said, to, he asked me to do something, and I did it, so I'm good to go for the rest of my life. No, it's a continual thing that is perpetuated. Wives are to continually and willfully align themselves that, under the, under the provision, protection, and authority of her husbands. But now this is a completely misunderstood term, I think, in our culture, or a very widely misunderstood term in our culture. It has all this freight with it so that people say, oh, you're just saying that the husband is a dictator and uh, that he can, uh, uh, the wife just tells her to do whatever and she's just supposed to do whatever he says. No, that's not what the, what the text is intimating or suggesting. She's not to do that. Biblical submission is not about the wife mindlessly just indulging the selfish ambitions of her husband. It's not about the wife enduring abuse. There's no suggestion that the husband has the right to abuse his wife. Biblical submission is about graciously assisting. It's about the wife, as, as Mark talked about in, in Genesis chapter 2, that the wife comes alongside as the helper to assist the husband in becoming all that God intended him to be as a man and as a husband. She's come alongside to encourage him in Christ as a believer. Now that's why we get it all mixed up because the, it's, it's, this is a message to those who are believers who are submission in submission to Christ. And so you're not supposed to just do it. It's an attitude. I mean, you know, gangs uh, go around shops in the neighborhood and force the shopkeepers to pay a protection charge. Well, they pay it not because they want to, but because they have to. Well, a wife can do what she's Asked to do because she has to, but the idea behind this is seen in the manner of submission to our wives. If you look at verse 22, it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. There you go. As to the Lord. As if you were submitting to Christ. Which means that there is a 
assumption that there is a relationship with Christ, that the wife has surrendered her life to Christ, that she's understood that she's a sinful person, that she's separated from God, that she deserves God's judgment, but that God in his mercy and grace sent Jesus to pay the price that she deserves to pay so that she puts her trust or her faith in him. She can trust her life to this Christ who saved her soul. And so she is to submit to her husband as if to the Lord. So when a believing husband makes a decision, he decides about some spiritual practice in their home. Yes, we're going to have this family devotions, or we're going to read the Bible at night, or makes a financial decision, or a decision about the location that they're going to live, where we're going to live, where we're going to end up living. That she doesn't fight it, that she supports him, and she submits to him that decision. As a a friend of mine, uh, he's been in the same job for years and years and years. And his wife simply despises it. She's in compliance, but she's not submissive. She just doesn't like what he's doing, and she makes no bones about telling people she doesn't like what he's doing, but she goes along with it. That's not submission. Submission is not opposing it. There's this manner of attitude of demonstrating her love for the Lord through her acknowledgement of God's rule by submitting. See, that's it, ladies. When you submit to the husband that God has given you, then you're acknowledging that God is Lord of your life and that he brought this man into your life not necessarily to make you happy, but intended to make you holy. And so you're going along with that. Then we see the motivation for submission. Why should a wife do this? Look at verse 23 and Ephesians 5, for, this is the purpose, purpose clause, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. Paul echoes the functional subordination which goes back to the book of Genesis that was established in Genesis. God made the man, made the woman from the man, for the man, brought her to the man, and he named her. So the woman is made from, for, and brought to as the gift of God in order to be the helper. That's the word used in Genesis 2.18. She is the helper and he is the head. Wives submit by aligning themselves under the authority, the protection, and the provision of the husband. And in so doing, she completes him and she compliments him and enables him to be what God intended him to be. That's the idea. Now, here's the proviso. There is no way, no sense, no intended, inherent, or implied inferiority. Okay? Or deficiency on the part of the wife. We're talking about the role and the responsibility that God has given, not about the essence of who they are. And we've made this perfectly clear. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 to 28. There were, there's no, no slave, neither slave nor free nor, um, nor male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. As a person is in Christ, that doesn't mean that a woman is less important in God's eyes, less valued. No, not at all. She has a different role. I don't know this guy, but he was the former chief of uh, staff for the military. He was the joint chief of staff. But General Dunford, 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 he was a four-star general. Now, he's not the only four-star general in the military, right? So if you're a four-star general, you're a big shot. You're, you're a big shot. You're, you're a four-star general. 
But when he was the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he had authority over every other four-star general. But he wasn't superior to them, but he had more authority. This is the way it is in marriage. The husband's not superior to the wife. In fact, you know, most guys, if they're honest, they'll say, my wife's, you know, she's got more going than me, you know. Uh, she, she's, she, she's got a lot more going on than me, but that's not the point. The point is that God has placed her in this position of helper, not head. And God said that this was, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, very good, his creation. Very good. And what God says is very good should not be demeaned. What God said is very good should be celebrated, not denigrated, not destroyed. But that's what our culture wants to do. Wants to destroy that which God has declared to be very good. Women should embrace. All women should embrace the unique way that God has brought you into this. Because it is always, it's not only about matrimony. It is about your identity as a woman. So that you should embrace your unique role in all of society. In the church of Jesus Christ. And in relationship with other men. Whether you're married to them or not. There is a way in which you bring a completion to the way you live out your identity as a woman. And this is a good thing. It's to be celebrated. There is this, um, that's the order of creation, but then there's this obvious comparison. In the end of verse 23, he says, As Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Just as Christ is the head of the church, so the wife should regard her husband as the head of their home. Finally, I want you to see the the models that are given. There's this mandate, and there's the the manner in which it's to be done. There is the motivation for it, and then there are the examples that are given to follow. And the first one is the church. In verse 24, he says, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands. So the church, us, the body of Christ, we're supposed to give warm and willing submission to Christ through our declaration of the truth, through our demonstration of compassion, through our doing of good works. Do good works, build goodwill, share good news. We're supposed to be part of the body of Christ that's growing and we're supposed to grow in godliness. We're supposed to grow in graciousness. We're supposed to grow in discipling people. And as we do that, in the same way, wives are to submit to their husbands. So the church embraces what God has called the church to do. The wife is to embrace the husband as the head of home. Secondly, the second example is Christ. And here I invite you to turn over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 because in this passage we see uh, Jesus held up as the example of the wife's submission. Amidst unjust suffering, that's why the context of 1 Peter, Jesus is held out as the example of enduring of, in other words, he was reviled and he did not revile in return, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. So in the same way that Christ uh, was unjustly suffered, he's held out as an example of the wives to uh, model their submission. And particularly here, ladies, and this is what's hard, this is a hard saying, to disobedient husbands. Now, disobedient is variously understood. That means that they're an unbeliever or they're a rebellious believer. Uh, Probably an unbeliever, but uh, we don't know because the example he gives us is Abraham and Sarah. And so we'd probably say that Abraham was an Old Testament believer, but he was kind of a knucklehead. 
You know, I mean, he asked his wife to lie for him twice because he was too cowardly to trust God that God would take care of him if he didn't. You know, okay, what kind of a pact is that? But she was submissive to it. So that's the, that's the deal. But here we have Christ. And here Christ is the, the model. I'm going to read verses, First uh, Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. In the same way, that's the text there, in the same way that Christ was submissive and without a word, he did not revile when he was reviled, in the same way, in the same manner of Christ, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, to, uh, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality. And notice the imperishable quality is gentleness and quiet spirit. It's one quality. Okay? The gentleness and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. And so here we have Christ. There's the face of submission. What does this submission look like? Well, that's what it is. Jesus was principled. He was purposeful, and he was peaceful in his submission. It wasn't just doing whatever he wanted. There was a principle behind it. Two features of Christ-like submission are emphasized. And what they do is they emphasize the conduct and the character of the woman, not the communication. Notice that this is without a word. Now, I'm not saying that a wife should never say a word. I'm just saying that this is the primary emphasis of this text, that is, she can win without a word and the behavior in the same way. So here it is, here they are. Faithful, that's chaste and respectful. Faithful. She's absolutely pure and honorable. She's pure and honors her husband. And then there is this gentle and quiet spirit, which I've defined as modesty and serenity. So there's modesty. First of all, that has to do with not adorning ourselves, not only. Notice the text says only. It doesn't mean women can't wear makeup. It doesn't mean they can't wear jewelry. And I'm not saying that at all. It's just saying that that's not supposed to be the focus. Guys, young people, young boys growing up, listen to this. Any girl can look pretty. She puts on enough paint. That doesn't mean she has a good soul. And what's valuable, more valuable, is what's inside than what's outside. I'm not saying you shouldn't look at, for someone who's attractive to you. I believe that God answers those prayers. I mean, I'm a proof of that, you know. Uh, you know, pray that you'll marry up. Yeah, pray that you'll marry up. That's a, that, I mean, I think that's godly. I mean, God gives good gifts, so pray for it. Women do the same thing. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for some scumbag. Settle for God's best. God, once he gives every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights and whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. So pray and don't settle. That was, that was for free. So he says, modesty and serenity. Gentle is not rough, but she's humble. And a quiet spirit is... She's still, and she's not rude. She's not rude. No, don't, you know, just some obnoxious woman is just not attractive, you know, just obnoxious and in-your-face people. You know, don't be that. That's, that's not the kind of godliness. It's the opposite of the Proverbs 29 verse, or 21, verses 9 and 19, the contentious woman like a dripping faucet. 
Nobody wants a dripping faucet, you know. I got a stool that turns on in the middle of the night. You know, this is annoying, you know. You don't want that. You know, I don't want to be like, uh, now these people aren't married, but uh, don't show this slide yet, okay? But, but Winston Churchill and Lady Astor, there's a long-going animosity between Winston Churchill and a member of parliament, Lady Astor, in, British Columbia, or in British, Great Britain. And one time, Lady Astor said to Winston Churchill, she says, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. And he said, Lady Astor, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. Now you can show the slide. Okay. Yeah, so that's it. I, I drink it. You see, it's only the power of Christ, only the power of Christ, that enables a woman to fulfill God's calling and manifest these imperishable qualities. Only the Christ. And notice what the text says about these. They are precious to God. And they're profitable for the husband. That's the point. You might win him without a word. They're profitable for the husband. I like Martha Montgomery's little statement about submission. She says, submission does not justify suppression by your husband. Guys, listen to this. But does imply obedience to your husband. A submissive wife considers the options. She gives her input. And then she does not contradict her husband's conclusions unless, unless, unless. What he's asking is completely, clearly unbiblical. Or would cause her to compromise her conscience under the authority of God. You go to Acts chapter 4 and you see the apostles were told you're not supposed to speak out anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, whether it's right in the sight of uh, you or not or God, we are going to speak the truth. We don't care. You can't tell us to stop doing what God's called us to do. Romans chapter 14, the end of chapter 14 says, whatever's not of faith is, is sin. So, you know, you can't ask your wife to, to do what's sin, you know, in, in her own mind. Those ladies, that's not it. Tim Jackson rightly observes this. He says, in the Garden of Eden, submission was safe. Since the fall, however, willful submission to a sinful man has become an act of vulnerability for the woman. Here's the issue, folks. That's why we go back to Genesis. Because prior to the fall, God made a helper and he made a head. And it was in perfect harmony. But after the fall, guess what? The woman wants to assert her authority and the man wants to abdicate his responsibility. That's Absolutely what we see played out in the culture. We see it in the church of Jesus Christ. It's anathema to God. It's contrary to his design. And so women, it's understandable that you don't want to submit. Because after the fall, doing so makes you vulnerable to the failure, inevitable failure of a husband's lack of love. Because every husband will fail you and not love you the way you want him to be lo love you. But it's also sinful to resist submitting to God's call to submit to your husband out of a, me a desire to protect yourself, self-protection. That's not faith. That's sin. And so that's what Jackson highlights and, and brings to men. So submit to the fallen. You, you have an urge to control rather than, su than to submit. So that's the face of it. What's the foundation of it? Why, why is this the call to trust God? Women, I'm saying to you, I think, believe... That for a guy to, to lead and to sacrifice and to cleanse and to nourish and to cherish, that pushes us way out of our comfort zone as fallen human beings. We have to trust God. I can't do this. 
for a wife, it's just the opposite. She's called to submit. Pushes her out of her comfort zone because she's called to submit to a, a fallen guy. That's why I tell you, young ladies, I tell every person that I'm counseling, make sure you got the right guy that you think is the right guy because you're going to have to submit to this guy. Don't get, get the jerk because you don't like what he's like now. You're not going to like it. Uh, you're going to like it a lot less in about two years. That's why, as Mark pointed out, John MacArthur says the last 25 years were harder than the first 25. You got 25 years of living with this person, and it goes both ways. You know, wives have to endure the husbands, husbands have to endure the wives. It makes it harder. But it's not what God calls us to it. The foundation, and I want you to look at verses 5 and 6 in 1 Peter chapter 3. For in this way, in former times, the women, the holy women, also who hoped in God. Now notice that. They hoped in God. Oh, they hoped in their husband, that their husband would be their savior, that her husband would be, you know, the, the, the dream boat that he's supposed to be. Well, that's for about two days in your, on your honeymoon, okay? Then you realize the truth. Who hoped in God, used to adorn... No, I'm, it shouldn't be that way. I'm not I'm just being sarcastic. Uh, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own wives. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children. Now notice how you have become her children. If... He says, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Ladies, it's fear that keeps you from submission. And fear is a lack of trust in God. And that's what he says. If you do what's right, what is right, what God has called us to, what my responsibility is. And if I do what is right without fear, I can't fear man. I have to fear God then you're pleasing to God. You know, this is, uh, look back at, at verse 23 of chapter 2, and this is Jesus' example. It says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Gals, that's what God's called you to do, is to entrust yourself to God who judges righteously, ultimately. Jill is a, uh, a gal whose husband decided later in life that uh, God had called him to start a ministry in a third world country. And, I mean, she's a very, uh, you know, comfortable, affluent, um, together person. And her husband starts going to this third world country and his heart gets captivated by the people and he's committed to ministry in this third world country and she is terrified. She doesn't want to go where there's cockroaches and, uh, you know, and mosquitoes and malaria and cholera and, you know, stink and stench and... I didn't sign up for this! But out of love for her husband, and quietness and gentleness of spirit, she is submitted and she doesn't complain and she doesn't whine. She goes and she goes and she has little lice-infested kids crawl up on her lap and play with her hair and do the things that God has called her to do because of her love for Christ. Wives willing, winning wives submit to their husbands. And so the question I have is, ladies, do you... Trust God enough. Will you trust God enough to quietly and gently submit rather than subvert your husband? 
Secondly, winning wives consciously respect their husbands. I'm not going to turn back to it, but you can write Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, which says, wives, respect your husbands. And you notice in the text of 1 Timothy that it was respectful and gentle behavior. It was this respectful and chaste, pure behavior that was to win the husband. Wives are called upon to respect. And the root word for respect is, is fear, but it doesn't mean in marriage that a wife is supposed to fear her husband. A wife is supposed to revere or honor her husband. That's also a meaning that's taken from it. You esteem them highly. Earlier this fall, Marla and I were able to go to the Iowa State UNI game, and as we were at the football game, uh, before they are sometime during the game, they had one of our veterans honored during the game. And it was really cool because... The entire stadium rose and the entire stadium roared in applause for this guy and his family because he had served our country to protect us and keep us safe. Well, this is the honor that a wife is to give to her husband. Her respect demonstrates her honor and her desire to honor not just her husband, but her desire to honor the Lord by giving appropriate weight to her husband's calling as her head. Text in 1 Peter that through her respectful and her chaste and respectful behavior. So I thought about, okay, so how does that play out? You know, what does it really mean? So I'm going to give you some practical things that I think would be helpful. Again, this is not the last word on it by any means. These are not the only things, but just some suggestions. Wives, how can you respect your husbands? And in, in saying this, there are some things that women in general, how can you respect and submit in, in, a, in a non-married way to other men to help them become all that God intended them to be as men and if they're married as husbands, okay? The first thing is uh, leave the final decision with him, Okay? That's just my suggestion. Give your input. And guys, ask for input. Don't be a knucklehead and just go off and do stupid stuff without talking to your wife. You know? That's not, that's not leading. That's not sacrificing. That's not cleansing. That's not nourishing. That's not cherishing. Okay? So, I'm sorry. I got to... If I would have been preaching all of these things, I would be saying, and I'll say this to the guys, but I would be saying to the gals, don't be nudging him. Okay, don't be, don't be no elbows because uh, this is not easy stuff for any of us. But give your input. Marla and I went, were, uh, the vacation we were on was a good vacation. Thank you for praying. We got there safely. But we were in the airport in Des Moines getting ready to leave. And uh, they came on. The flight's full all the way to Dallas. Uh, if you'd like us to, to check your carry-on bags, uh, we can check them all the way to your destination, which I found out later. This is kind of what some people do now, right? They just pack a carry-on, and, and then they wait for the plane to get full, and then they don't have to pay the $50 to get their luggage checked. Uh, they just uh, carry their carry-on, and then they get it checked at the gate, or not at the gate, but yeah, at the gate, and then it's free, you know. Uh, I didn't think of that. So we had this, and we're, we're, uh, we're there in the airport, and they say, you can check your bag all the way to your destination. I'm going, Marla, what do you think? Maybe we should do that. I'm not sure. And she goes, well, I don't know. You, you decide. <sighs> don't guys hate that? See, this is part of the fall. Guys hate that. Well, you do, what do you want to eat tonight, honey? Well, I don't know. You decide. What do you want for Christmas? I don't know. You decide. Hello? If, what if I decide wrong? Well, you will. And then you got to deal with it. And we don't want to deal with it. So I decided we're not going to check our luggage or our carry-ons. 
because I got my stuff in there. You know, I pack carry-on because I want to do a carry-on. Whatever I want to check, I put in the checked luggage. You know, well, by God's grace, this one turned out to be the right decision because we had friends traveling with us. They had all their bags checked. We missed our flight in Dallas to the next connection. We missed our connection to the next place. So their their stuff ended up coming about three two days late. You know, so we're loaning them clothes out of our bags uh, because they didn't have their bags. Glad I didn't check. But more ladies, you know, give your input. Let him decide. Then this next one goes with it. Don't roll your eyes. Don't roll your eyes when his decision is unwise. Okay. Don't roll your eyes when his decision is unwise. Several years ago, uh, and. And I'm sorry, I just have to speak out of my own marriage experience So because I, 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 I you know, only, only have one, so I, I, I speak out of that. So several years ago, I consulted with Marla. I said, Marla, there's this investment. And it, it seems like, you know, it's, it's a risk, but it seems like it'd be a good thing to do. Maybe, you know, we're, we're, would you mind if we just put money, not money that we have to have, money we, we, if we didn't have it, it would like not ruin us, but we didn't want to lose money. Well, it ended up going belly up. You know, whatever I put into it. She said, yeah, fine, that's whatever you decide. But I tell you this, not once in the 20 plus years since that decision, or maybe it's not been that long, 15, has she brought it up? Not once has she said anything about it. I don't even, if, if I didn't keep bringing it up, she wouldn't, she just says, forget it. That is godly respect and submission. It's not gouging, you idiot. You should have done that. Why did you put that in? Why could we use that money for this? We could do that money for that. What are you thinking about? No, none of that. Just love. Thirdly, consult him even when you could make the decision without it. You see, gals, guys like to be able to be helpful. We want to give our input. That's why when you're crying, we're always trying to fix it. Because that's how we, we go into this mode, and that's why we're, then we need to be more nourishing and cherishing. So consult him. If you, you know, you don't need your, if you have children, you don't need your husband's uh, input probably if they're asked to go for a sleepover at somebody's house. You could probably make that call. You know the people, you trust them, yeah, fine. But ask him anyway. Get his input. And ladies who are not married, you can show respect and, 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 and a submission, not in a married way, but to other guys by asking them for help. Asking for their input, their advice on things. This, guys like that because it makes them feel like they're helpful. And God made us to be helpful. God made us to be encouraging. He made us to want. You know, chivalry is guys want to help. I don't know many women who can't open their own door. I mean, it's not, you're, you're capable, you know. Some of you are more capable than us. But when we do that, it makes us feel like we're honoring you and you honor us by letting us do it. So that's what I'm talking about. Pray for him. Ladies, pray. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. Pray. And finally, verbally appreciate men in your lives, privately and publicly. Okay? Married and single women commit to compliment rather than criticize the men in our lives, even the ones who are disobedient to the word. You're thinking, I got to think long and hard for something to compliment him on. 
Well, I mean, if he brushed his teeth, tell him. That's really nice you brushed your teeth. You know? Uh, Find something. Because this is a way you honor him. You know, our society makes guys out. You know, dudes are not all dopes all the time. We just fail more than we should. Okay, I want you to see this uh, evidence of the cultural understanding of men and how it plays out. Okay, here we go. Turn the wheel to the right. That's the one. There is the deuce. Perfect. High five. How's it look out there? Good? There you go. Things are real easy. You're... Yeah. So, there he is. Believing women, you can fulfill your helper role by uh, when you assist fallen guys like us to regain and remain in our role as masculine guys. You help us, you know? So give him a high five and say, well, that's good, dude. You know, you, you did it well, you know? Instead of like, well, you know, <laughs> duh. Yeah, anybody could have done that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, see how demeaning it is, the culture? And you watch it. I think James Dobson in his book, Bringing Up Boys, he talks about dumb guy commercials. I don't watch a lot of TV with commercials and stuff. So if you watch TV and you listen to commercials, almost every commercial makes guys look like idiots. I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to say that word. We, we look like uh, uh, knuckleheads, okay? Uh, like crazy people. And that's not true. We're not that way all the time. So... Help us. Okay, some additional encouragement for those who may be struggling or will struggle with a difficult, disobedient guy. Here's some biblical perspective that I think is true not only for gals in relationships and marriage, but single gals, every one of us in relationship to God our Father. And that is this. First of all, focus on your responsibility, not your rights. We live in an age in which everybody is demanding their rights. It's my right for this. It's my right for that. It's my right for this. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. And that is not God's perspective. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You wives, see to it also that you respect your husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, it's you respectful and, and, and chaste and gentle behavior in all things, in everything. That's what God has called us to. Neil Anderson put it this way. He said, in God's system, our focus is to be fulfilling our responsibilities, not insisting on our rights. Wives, having a spiritual husband is not your right. But being a submissive, supportive wife is your responsibility. It is certainly your desire to have a spiritual husband. It's your desire to have a husband who's more Loving and leading and sacrificing and cleansing and nourishing and cherishing. But it's not your right. Your right, your responsibility is to love, submit, and support your husband. I'm sorry, gals, but the the unfortunate thing is it's not about the worthiness of your husband. (laughs) Because he's not worth it. Uh, It's about your obedience to Christ and your love for Christ. Secondly, focus on reverence for Christ, not results. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, do we have that slide? No. Ephesians 5:21, I'll read it. Ephesians 5:21 says this: "And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, in the fear of Christ. Respect for a husband demonstrates your dependence upon God. 
for many years I counseled a gal. And you know, it's always sad because you know, when I do counseling, oftentimes you just see one. And when I only have one person in, in my office to counsel them, what, who can I deal with? The person I'm with. And so I just call that person to do what God calls them to do. And for years, I called this woman, encouraged her and supported her and said, this is what God's called you to do. I know he's being crazy. I know that there's unrealistic expectations. I know that it's hard. She was in a difficult marriage with a disobedient, professing believer. And I kept calling her to respect him and submit to him the best she could by God's grace. And she continued to respect him, submit to him. She's still married, but it's still hard what God calls. It's reverence, not results. I can't control. The only person I can control is me. The only person you can control is you. We are to, not to please men, but God. That's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Right? Please God and not men. We can determine to bring God glory. Write down in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope, not that I should be put to shame in anything, but according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I may not be put to shame in anything, but that Christ may always be glorified in my body. That's the call. That's the, that's the call. Third, finally, focus on righteousness, not relief. Isn't it interesting as a husband and as a wife, as a man, as a woman, what God calls us to is holiness, not happiness. You see, God, when, when there is a marriage, God brings each of you together as gifts to each other, and he wants to use the qualities and the quirks to conform you to Christ. So that the very things that annoy us most about the person that we're married to are the things that God is using to, to form us into Christ, usually. I think about Bob Goff. We heard him speak. He's, he's, he's crazy. I mean, he just, he does everything. And his wife is a recluse. Can you imagine if you were just this, I mean, he just flies everywhere and goes, he doesn't even tell his wife where he's going because she'd be too freaked out. She'd be too afraid. And so he just goes off and does these things, goes to the front lines of battles and over and overseas, and he goes into territories, walks along the streets in, in uh, you know, areas where he's going to talk to people about Jesus, and, and, and these people don't like people who talk about Jesus, and he doesn't tell his wife. And it would freak her out, but it causes her faith to grow as she trusts in him. And she trusts in God to take care of him and provide for him. This is the idea. But it's also the flip side. It's not just that God wants to use our spouse to conform us. not just that God wants to use men and women in our lives to conform us to Christ. But he wants to use us in their lives. That's 1 Peter chapter 3. That the husband would be one that's disobedient without a word by the behavior of the wife. God wants to use us. Now, you're this morning, and you maybe you don't know Jesus. You're not trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is wacko stuff. I mean, this stuff about wives submitting and respecting is, like, derogatory. Well, abuse by fallen men explains why people would see it as problematic. But perversion of God's design doesn't excuse obedience to it. Perverting what God has intended to be good is no excuse for us not to follow what God has called us to. Only as a person is trusting. Notice how it says, as to the Lord. As to the Lord. We're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. 
Wives are supposed to submit to us as unto the Lord. Without a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's impossible to do what God has called us to do. And that's why we have such a problem in our culture is because so many people don't have a relationship with Christ. And then those of us who have a relationship with Christ aren't following what God has called us to do in relationship to Christ. And so I call you and challenge you and say, look, God's plan is best. This was before the fall. And he means it to be worked out in our society, in our life. So if you don't know Christ, the only way that you have a hope of doing these things, of loving your wives as husbands and, and, and as men, and loving your husband and other uh, men as wives and women, is through the power of the risen Christ in your life. And believers, you know, uh, I'm just asking you to say, okay, am I willing to submit to what God has called me to do? These are the secrets. This is what God has asked me to do. Where can I... Play it out. Where can I put it into truth in my life? I would want, if you're married or you get married someday, I'd want your husband to be like this former ambassador to Great Britain. Somebody asked him, they said, you know, when you die, if it were possible for you to come back a second time, what would you, what would you want to be? He said, I wanna, would want to be my wife's second husband. I'd want to be my wife's second husband. And you know what? Why should husbands love their wives? Why should wives submit to and respect their husbands? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. When you put your faith and your trust, what he did on the cross, as we remember it through the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup, is so that all who trust in him would have our sins forgiven, so that we would be empowered by the power of Christ who loved us to love in return and to show the lost world who Jesus is through the way we relate to one another in love. This is what Christ has called us to. As God's children, we want to bring him glory. And as we celebrate communion, let us remember that, what he's called us to. Help us reflect on where we are in our own relationship with God and how it is we're living out our calling as men and as women, as husbands, as wives. Confess our sins and take these elements free from the sin that may be garbaging up our lives and rejoice in the forgiveness we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your calling. And not only your calling, but your equipping. You've given us the education. I pray that by your Spirit's power, you would help us to execute all that you've called us to do as husbands and wives, and as we see next week as singles, for the glory of God and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of